This week I happened to be touring the offices of a very successful secular business here in Houston. And as I saw all of the, the cubicles, the computers, uh, the screens, the, the whiteboards, collaboration spaces, decorations, even a pool table and a ping pong table that were all placed there in those offices intentionally to craft and create the aesthetic and, and the ambiance that they wanted in their businesses work environment among all those things there was one wall that really jumped out to me because on that wall in big orange letters it said our secret and next to those big words those two big words there were all of these placards posters they were mounted up on the wall and they had these phrases on them these phrases that this company wanted all of their employees to know to to understand to adopt to make their own because these phrases they would establish the the culture of their company uh, phrases like this know your real job be a leader be responsive underneath be responsive said return a phone call in one minute make your client the hero in every case be a friend dress like a leader be the easiest person to do business with never settle for simply satisfying your client these were the things that they felt would set them apart from other companies in their field of business these were the things that that they wanted to create their culture and when, when they sell their services then they talk about these things as their difference and as you listen to them it's very clear that, that their priority is to please their clients what's your secret what are the things that set you apart from those around you and whom do you live to please you know, are, are there some some phrases uh, some some mottos that, that you keep in your mind that every day when you wake up you you get up and, and you start your day are there some things that that you place in a prominent place whether that's physically something that you can see or maybe it's more mentally you, you lock them into your brain what are those phrases that are gonna create the the culture that you want to create in your own life and and with those around you What are the things that you focus on in this series we've really talked about the the culture of divine savior church and and what we want that culture to be how, how we want to create that culture the, the culture that jesus himself creates among us because he changes our hearts and our lives and that culture sets us apart it's different it makes us different in a very good way it's countercultural 
to the world around us. And the Apostle Paul, he talked about this very same culture as he finished up his letter to the Christians in the city of Thessalonica, this letter that's part of God's grand letter to us. And there, God inspired the Apostle Paul to give these phrases to the Thessalonians and to us, to give these phrases that would establish their culture, these phrases that, that they could keep in a prominent place, that they could walk into, that would set them apart and make them a good kind of different. And Paul lists these instructions for those whose souls, their hearts, their minds, their bodies, their entire being has been changed by Jesus. These are the things that disciples of Jesus Will do. Paul said, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. And now we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. You see, we all live for something. We all live for, for someone. There is something, someone that we are striving to please in our life. But Jesus changes your life so that you live to please God. Which is exactly how Jesus lived his own life. Every single day, every single step that he took, he lived to please God, his heavenly Father. He lived that, that holy, that pure life that now counts in your place. And so it is because of Jesus, it's because of the, the change that he works in our hearts that we want to live to please God. And so at Divine Savior Church, we strive to become more like Jesus. Paul's instructions begin this way. He says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, sanctify, that's, that's a pretty churchy term, right? Well, what does it mean? Sanctify means to make holy or to set apart. God sets us apart. He, he wants these things, the culture that we create among us, that Jesus will create among us to set us apart from the world around us. This culture will be countercultural. And you listen to what Paul says. He says, avoid sexual immorality. Control your body in a way that is holy and honorable. Do not wrong or, or take advantage of others. That's countercultural. It's very different from the way that our world thinks because God's word encourages us to see sex as this beautiful, holy, even sacred thing that God has created it to be. He, he moves us and he leads us to, to control our bodies and our minds, both physically and the emotional side of it, so that we, we aren't out to just please ourselves. We aren't out to take advantage of others. And our world is in desperate need of people 
who view sex selflessly and sacredly so that we don't fall into passionate lust, we don't wrong or take advantage of others. According to Rain, an organization that exists to serve those who have been victims of sexual abuse and assault, in our country, every year, 463,634 people are victims of sexual abuse every single year. That equates to one person every 68 seconds. Our world is in desperate need of those who live differently, a good kind of different. And Paul continues with his instructions. He says, live a holy life. Love each other. Make your ambition to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your hands. Win the respect of outsiders. I find that so interesting that we're encouraged to make it our ambition to lead a quiet life. I mean, that, that's countercultural today, isn't it? Ambition is about anything but being quiet. Ambition is about celebrating every single one of your own successes and, and your individual accomplishments. It, it's about making sure that you climb every single ladder. It's about being up in everybody's business so that you can protect your own. You know, quietness is seen as a weakness. And then Paul tells us, he tells us to, to work, work with our hands. And he's not just saying, you know, that manual labor is a good thing. That, I think what he means there is to work with our own hands. That, that we would have a good, strong work ethic. That we would be willing to, to work hard in our life. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but whenever I scroll the, the Instagram feed, it's amazing how many ads there are of people who are telling you that they can show you how to do the least amount of work possible for the greatest amount of money. And, and maybe there's a little appeal to that, but for God's people, that's not the way we live. That's not the culture that God brings among us. Your culture is different because Jesus has changed it. He's changed you. Now for a, a secular company's secret to, to really work, all of their employees, they, they need to be on board. They need to take ownership uh, of those words and those phrases that are going to define their culture. They, they need to see the value in them, the value of doing business that way. And they have to be willing to commit fully, completely, 100%. Because if, it, if they don't, if they don't believe in those values, if, if, if they aren't going to work hard to hold to them, then it's going to fall flat. It's not going to work. Because you can, you can only fake it for so long. And eventually, if you don't believe in those values, if you don't see them as worthwhile, then eventually that company is no longer going to be a good fit for you and, and you're not going to be a good fit for that company. Are you on board with Jesus? 
Are you committed to the life to which he calls you? Do you recognize the value that is there in that sanctified life? Do you, do you really want to become more like him? And I'm sure that all of us would say, yes, absolutely, but, but I wonder if you're like me, and I wonder if there's a little part of you somewhere in there that, that's saying, really? Really, Jesus? You want me to... To lead a quiet life? Really, Jesus, you don't want me to, to make sure that, that I succeed at all costs? Jesus, really, you, you, you don't want me to, to be happy the way that I want to be happy when it comes to my own body and, and my own sexuality? There's a part of us that may see these instructions, these commands, with much less than joy. We might see them as just difficult burdens to bury. We might think that they are too strict, too demanding, that they are restrictive rules. But my dear brothers and sisters in the family of Christ, Remember that this is divine truth. Remember that we thrive on more joy than guilt. And understand that this is God's will for you, but it is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And that makes all the difference. Oh, see these things with the understanding of all that Jesus Christ has done for you and who he has made you to be, that you are a redeemed child of God. Jesus also was set apart for a very specific purpose. That as the Lord God Almighty, ruler over heaven and earth, he came to this world and he made himself nothing to serve you. And not only to serve you, but to save you. To save your very life. He rescued you, and, and Jesus, he didn't have the, the ambition to, to assume some throne, powerful throne of might, but rather, he wanted to redeem you. He didn't have this ambition to take advantage of other souls, but he led this completely pure, completely holy life that is now yours to call your own, and you can remember and you can cling to all of those joyous and beautiful truths. God's will for you in Christ Jesus is why you can do the things that Paul says. It's why you can rejoice always. Why you can pray continually with confidence. Why you can give thanks in all circumstances because God's will for you in Jesus Christ, that is your joyful secret to how you live. 
God's will for you in Jesus Christ is that you would know joy and thanksgiving. That that would fill your life because of Jesus. And that you would be filled with more joy, more thanksgiving as you constantly strive to become more and more like Jesus. And it's amazing to me how in this section there are so many incredible promises from God. First of all, in chapter 4, verse 8, I want you to see there how Paul reminded the Thessalonians that these were the words of God, the very God who gives us His Holy Spirit. God has given you His Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit will work in your life. That Holy Spirit will guide you and help you. That Holy Spirit will encourage you. That Holy Spirit, God has given you all the tools that you need to grow into this different life. Trust in Him. Rely on that gift. In chapter 5, verse 23, Paul prayed, he said, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And I love that prayer. And it reminds you that your God is the God of peace. There are so many different things in this world that you could create into your own God, that you could create to serve. That there are so many things and ideas that you might dedicate your life, people whom you might try to please, but none of them give you the peace that God gives you. None of them give you that true and everlasting peace that comes from our God. And it's that true and everlasting peace that you have that allows you to, to live this life that Paul describes. It allows you to live selflessly. It allows you to live with service because you have everything you need. That life of peace will set you apart, allow you to be content, allow you to work hard knowing you have Christ's peace. And this God of peace, he cares about your whole entire being. Paul writes, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. As God works through forgiveness, he desires to keep your whole being blameless in his grace, in his love and his mercy that flows to you so that you can stand confident on that last day. Live as if that is true because it is. Live as if this culture of peace and holiness is the one into which you have been brought because it is. And there's one more exciting truth that I want to point out. A secret that I found buried in this letter, not really, but just really stood out to me from this letter. This phenomenal truth that demonstrates where all the strength, all the power, and all the energy that we need to create this culture, where all of that because of his faithfulness, because we know he will be at work in us, we strive to become more and more like Jesus because he promises to work in us. Our culture as God's people, it's not, not determined by mere words, but by the saving actions of our faithful God.
It's not determined by the, these colorful signs that we can mount on the wall, that we can pin up on a bulletin board, but it's determined by Jesus Christ, who was pinned, even nailed to a tree to forgive us, to draw us into God's family. Who even there, nailed to that tree, he cried out, Father, forgive them. Our culture is determined by that tomb that was vacated and empty three days later. And the power of Jesus' own resurrection, the the joy that we have. It's determined by that sign that was posted above Jesus' head that declared him king. And we know he is king and Lord over all. And so we rely on God's faithfulness. He will do it. God will continue to increase and strengthen us in our faith. And so brothers and sisters, create that culture. That culture of disciples. Be sanctified. Be a good kind of different. Control your body. Live a holy life. Love each other. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Work with your hands. Win the respect of outsiders. Live to please God. As in fact you are doing. But I urge you, to do this more and more in Christ Jesus because he is what sets us apart. Jesus has changed our lives and so we strive to become more like him. Amen. Amen.